From the Spec Network, this is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. This episode of Fragmented is brought to you by Square. If you're an Android developer, you've most likely already heard of Square from the amazing open source Android libraries they've released. But we sometimes forget that Square is actually one of the best payment services companies. In this episode, they'd like you to know that you can build with Square's in-app payments SDK for Android for a secure and managed way to take payments. It enables mobile apps because, you know, you and I work on mobile apps. If you want a really nice and easy way to accept credit cards on the Square platform with a really nice pre-built slick UI, then the in-app payments SDK just does that right out of the bat. In the US, it also makes it possible to accept Google Pay and Apple Pay. I don't know about you folks, but these days I completely almost always rely on Apple Pay and Google Pay. You can learn more about the in-app payments SDK for Android and Square's other payments and commerce APIs and SDKs at youtube.com slash square dev. I love that instead of doing boring all documentation, they also provide this alternative channel because these days some of the best ways to actually see how to demonstrate or find a tutorial to use an SDK is just to show that through YouTube. And Square does exactly just that. Thank you so much to Square for sponsoring today's show. And once again, you can go and check out their in-app payments SDK and actually go and look at the tutorial at youtube.com slash squaredev. Thanks for sponsoring today's show, Square. Kaushik, what's going on, man? Nothing much, nothing much. I think today we want to pick up on another topic. Definitely. That was, uh, this is a topic that I think we've we actually discussed a few times, but uh, we never actually dove into it. And uh, and that topic is logging. Mm-hmm. So uh, I brought this up just recently again um, because I was moving from, I was doing a bunch of Android work. And in Android, uh, I'll typically use something like Timber, which we'll get into in a second what that is uh, for logging. But then I was doing some stuff over in React and in Node. And I started like wondering, like, all right, well, what's the best way to log over here and then i started thinking about what what should i be logging should i use the default logging tools like if i'm android do i use log.d for debug and log w for warn okay but then do i want these in my production build or how do i do that and that's where things like timber come in and in different languages and it just started making me think about what like logging in general what should we be logging are there any tips or tricks that we can share with the listeners out there of what we've accomplished in the past to help um, with logging your applications uh, and just kind of wanted to bring it up with you. Yeah, that's a fantastic summary. That's It is also very interesting. I think logging in general can be extremely useful, um, yeah. especially when you need it, but there are so many nuances to it, right? Like you said, what do you log, which I think is, again, a very important aspect today with, where we have like, you know, GDPR on like the side of Europe and also uh, if you're in California, we also have like the California Privacy Act CPA something which is very similar to GDPR so there's aspects of logging where you want to make sure you protect people's privacy too so you can't log everything but at the same time you want to also maybe log enough so it's useful for you as a programmer 
there's all and like you said right like between production and like debug builds if you have a debug build running and you want to like dump a whole bunch of logs then how do you manage that versus the alternative and you know even if you're in production i can speak out of like some experience i've had like especially at instacart where you know we have like a lot of shoppers and like sometimes we run into like really bizarre issues with like different kinds of phones how we try to like manage that i don't necessarily know if i have like the best or recommended way of logging i don't know if such a thing exists but i mean i can yeah. talk about some of the things that we do that i found helpful and you know as always i'm pretty sure as we get into the topic it'll be interesting to see like what you have come across through your experience yeah definitely before we get like into the nitty gritty details of like some production level logging for some heavy duty apps that you and i have worked on let's talk a little bit about um different types of logging and when we might want to use them so uh let's just go with the default android ones that a lot of our listeners are familiar with we have you know log.d which i think is probably the most common which is you know uh debug and then we have w for warn e for error i think is it is it i for info or is it v That's for right. verbose uh v's verbose so actually uh so the, these are like the priority it. levels, right? So if you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, if you start moving up from the priority levels, I think it starts at verbose, which is basically, you know, the most, uh, well, not noisy, but like the most uh, comprehensive in terms of like logging everything, right? Like, oh, this yeah. happened. And I think that's also interesting because even I think like this is something that over time has been tricky for me as also like with a lot of the teams that I've worked on, like the understanding of what is marked in these priorities. So we'll get into that shortly, but I think it's verbose. Uh, debug, warn, uh, debug is, yeah, debug, warn is warning, error, and in some cases there's, uh, oh, I missed info, I guess, right? So there's info, and in some cases there's also critical. So uh, those are like, I think the six, but I, you were mentioning the ones that are with Android, right? Like the base priority levels. I think other yeah. than critical, we covered the other ones. You forgot one. Oh, the interesting one. That's there's a story behind that. That's the one, right? Yeah, <laughs> the WTF there's one. one. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's actually an Android. There's one called log.wtf and it stands for what a terrible failure. It's when you report a condition that should should never happen. So, <laughs> right. Can't say I've really used it, but uh it's always an interesting uh log statement. But yeah, so like let's talk quickly um let's just kind of talk about let me ask you what is your take on when do you typically use each one of these uh, these levels of logging? You know, is it, when do you use the, you know, the verbose versus info, de- debug, error, warning, et cetera? Do you have any, like, heuristics you kind of follow? And this has changed over time, obviously, like, because as I've move, moved from working from an extremely small app to, like, a much larger app, like, a lot of these things have changed over time. But I can, like, go through what I think about, like, the priority levels in themselves. And mm-hmm. once we talk about how these are like actually logged or how they are sent to a point of consumption, it also changes. So I think there's that's where it makes it interesting. But at least for me, the way I've started, and again, right now, this context is in mobile applications that are logging, right? I know it's mm-hmm. like a little different when you have backend applications or like where you want to log there. But I think right now we're talking about client-side applications, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where this is a user, like someone who's like using your service uh that yeah where you want to draw logs from typically for verbose the priority level verbose the way i go about it is this is information that i wouldn't necessarily want streamed or like sent directly to a streamed logging mm-hmm. service uh, uh there are like logging services that actually like where you can stream logs right there are like different ones like 
log DNA. There was logly, yeah. I think. There's also one that we kind of use, which is not exactly logging, but is similar-ish uh, called Datadog. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah, there's a lot of these great services out there, and I swear by these services. Yeah, and like they're great. They they can get a little pricey, but again, it it's the scope of your application, right? If you're working on a production application where it's extremely critical for you to be able to solve things quickly and find out issues, debug issues, and you're able to spend mm-hmm. the money, then these I totally vouch by these services. I think they're great. Uh, so anyway, yeah, uh, verbose is. Typically, what I log in verbose, I don't expect that to be available directly as a streamed log. But I do log those locally on the client. Uh, and I'll talk about this. This is like, you know, just interesting information. Like, you know, uh, I, the screen was presented and this, like, this call was made or that call was made. You know, this network request was made mm-hmm. uh, with these headers. Like, all that goes into verbose. Uh, debug. My debug logs are logs that I'm like truly using for debugging, right? Like, and the way I use this personally is if I'm releasing a new feature and like it's a feature that I'm not yet sure works extremely stably, or like I'm there are things I want to know about how this feature works, then I use debug. And the understanding is these debug logs get streamed to a backend, Mm -hmm. right? So, like these services that I talk about, like anything that goes into debug goes into these services. So I obviously also have to be careful. I can't just like log anything I want there. But the way I kind of do it is as I'm rolling out a feature, I put these in debug and I actually also in future file like a, I mean, you know, we've used Jira in our uh, system. here. I file a Jira ticket that says by date X, like, you know, to turn these debug logs back to verbose. Once I know with some level, once I have a certain level of confidence that these features are working the way they're supposed to, then I change the priority from debug to verbal. So those are the kind of things that I would put in debug. Info is like useful information that I would need to know at all points of time, right? For example, I think I put, uh, I can't remember, but any screen load, like uh, if a new activity is loading or like a new screen in quotes is loading to a user, then I put that in uh, the info priority, right? And this is the kind of information where I think if you think about wanting to leave breadcrumbs in your app, like say if you were to look through your app and like just want to know like what is happening, right? Like say you got a new order, a new order is placed if you're like, you know, in a marketplace or like, you know, uh, in a new screen, a very specific feature was like activated. Like there was a payment call made or something, you know, obviously again, all with, like masked for privacy. Mm-hmm. The important in uh, important milestones in the flow of your app, these are what I would put behind mm-hmm. info. Uh, the way, uh, what's the next one? Yeah, warning. So like with warnings, basically, I don't know if this is the right approach, but it's worked pretty well. Anything that's a non-fatal yeah. error. So these are caught exceptions. I just put them in warning. So, you know, like if you have try in the old like days, if you have a try-catch, actually even in the new days, if you have a try-catch call, Things that are caught, right? I put that. Or like if you're in the land of Rx Java and you have an on error call, all those go into like warning. Those are things that, hey, this should not have happened, but I'm I'm handling, you know, in quote uh, quote unquote, handling this in some way. So that's why I think of these as like non-fatal errors. Uh crashes, like you know, true crashes, those go into the next priority level, which is error. Mm-hmm. And uh what's the other one? So there's critical, which is a little different. Critical is I actually like, and these, it depends on the services you use. Like there is a priority level where I have, where if it's a critical thing that I've logged, this 
page is an engineer. Like that's how I think about it. So this is so bad that you need to wake someone up, like you know who's on call, and let them know this happened. Uh, that's a critical, and there are very few of these critical. Like we don't. And that's something have, you've got. Yeah, I mean, I guess let's. So we've got these. I guess what I'm trying to say is if I'm taking this uh, look at this from an Android developer perspective, and I'm only if I've ever used just a log class. Now you have talked. Of, yeah, then you probably. Yeah, wouldn't. so we don't have critical inside of there. So I, I think that kind of takes us to like to the next step. Um, and just so everyone's aware, I really don't have much to add to what you're saying because I kind of do almost yeah. exactly what you do. Uh, for the debugging. Yeah, I was going to follow up. Is that something that, yeah, do you also yeah. adopt sort of a similar strategy? Yeah, I did. And yeah. for very early on, to tell you the truth, I did mostly everything was in, 80% was in debug. And then, but the mm. same thing um, that I've had with the warning and error, almost exactly. Like if it's caught exception, it's warned. If it's a, mm. a caught, it's an exception that shouldn't have happened uh, and we need to know about it, then I'll log it to error. Um and then so forth. There's just little wrappers around that, which I think kind of gets to the next topic of like, all right, log v, the basic log class in Android, for example, works fine. And most of the logging mm-hmm. utilities, if you're using Winston and JavaScript, if you're using some other logging in, in Ruby or whatever, they all have a very similar kind of, um, you know, method signature. You can do verbose debug information warning mm-hmm. and error usually are your main ones, uh, give or take one or two. But what you were saying earlier was something that was very interesting is you will then, if it's debug log, you'll stream those logs to another service. So mm-hmm. based on my experience, I know that that probably means you have some type of wrapper around a, a, a logging library or, or how are you doing it? Uh, how are you, are you using the default log class? Are you using your own custom implementation or, or what does that look like? Is there an open source library you use? This is where I think we get into Timber okay. <laughs> for like most Android developers. I think Timber is like by Jake, yeah. like Wharton. And this is a library that's existed forever. But the concept is actually, I think, a concept that is used across multiple platforms. I think on iOS, there's a similar thing. And like on the back end, I'm sure there's a similar thing. And the idea with, uh, you use Timber as well, right? I'm presuming. Yes. Yeah, totally. Right. So which is why like usually in an Android application, when I'm working with a mobile application, I'm never directly logging. I never use like the base log call call i i send everything through timber Mm -hmm. and for those who don't know timber is like this open source library that jake wrote uh and the idea is it's a collection service i mean the name is kind of a cute name and the way it works is the timber library you send everything into timber so like say you would use a log call log.d or log.debug and all these things you would instead be using timber.debug timber.e timber.v that's how you would use it. Mm-hmm. But the way you would configure Timber is you would basically plant these classes. And these classes, because you're planting them, they're called trees, right? So you plant these tree instances. And so what you can do is when you're setting up your application, when you're setting up Timber, you can say, oh, depending on certain conditions, I'm planting these different trees. Yeah. And if I open up my application here, right? Like we have like a bajillion like kind of combinations. So uh in my application main application class if it is uh if it is like a production instance then like these streaming services right i plant one of those trees mm-hmm. so i plant a datadog tree i plant a log dna tree you know and that's how and you write these custom trees uh they're just like simple classes where in these classes you're essentially delegating how you want to handle these calls mm-hmm. so if i open up one of these trees I basically look at the priority level 
and based on the priority level i do different things right mm-hmm. so for the log dna the streaming stuff uh, if it's a log.verbose i just ignore it like i don't even send it up okay right uh, so that's one aspect so within the tree itself you can manage what happens to these logs but stepping back also like what i was talking about you plant these trees under different conditions right for example when you use these things like log dna and like you know, these third party services that we talk about i mean they're paid services right and they can land up being super expensive if you just always log things in there yeah so when we're on like debug bills like for developers when we're like i actually don't log any of those things because usually when you're working on a debug build you have access to the device right so you can just stream the logs on logcat and see all of these things yeah. uh so in those cases i just basically don't send it. i don't plant these specific trees i also uh, we talked about like warning and error so because of that i also have a crashlytics tree yeah so that's something i plant in right and there like if it's a warning i send that as like an uh, i log that as an exception uh if yeah there's like ca- and uh, crashlytics also has like these things called breadcrumbs or like you know you can send log messages so i also like send in those bre- breadcrumbs in there uh like so info verbose uh, uh sorry info and uh, debug i send those also with my log with my crash so and the way it works is when the crash gets uploaded to crashlytics you'll see some of these logs go in right mm-hmm. Uh, so the beauty with this is it just abstracts all of your logging. So all I have to deal with when I'm building a feature is using Timber, right? Mm-hmm. And ba- and I just trust that the way I have Timber wired up at uh, when my application is created, it just does the right thing, right? It makes sure that I'm sending the necessary logs to the right services at the right time. Yeah. Um do, do you think that's like a decent roundup of what Timber is? Yeah. I mean, I think you pretty much nailed it. It's just, you know, it's an abstraction that allows you to provide various different implementations of how you want to handle the logs and uh it's super powerful i do the same thing um i created a crashlytics you know uh tree long long many many years ago that it's you know now it's firebase or whatever the heck that's turning into right right um <laughs> do you still call it crashlytics tree as well yeah it's probably still and i know it's in many code bases probably still that way um for those not familiar with crashlytics that's what um part of firebase used to be called back in the day what's called crashlytics that was the crash reporting tool that was free at the time um which is why we reference it that way but no i completely agree um it's very powerful uh and it's it's one of those tools and libraries that i install probably very early on in every single project like oh you know what? need timber i don't cuz i'm so used to typing timber i don't ever type log.d or whatever And the nice thing about Timber too is it automatically will create the tags for you. Like you don't have to provide a tag. It'll just generate one for you based upon the file and so forth, which is nice, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think the idea there's like they have uh there's a base tree called debug tree yeah. that actually I think parses out the tag and that's like the beauty. Like that's one really helpful thing. So it, these trees that we're talking about if you extend or I mean yeah, if you extend debug tree which is one, there it automatically figures out the tag. So all you have to do is just timber dot something. You're right. Yes. If uh I think if you use the traditional log service on Android you also have to specify a tag you do. for everything mm-hmm. right so this makes it really convenient and I mean obviously you can also override these things uh for example sometimes when I'm working on a specific feature and I want to you know filter out based on a specific tag for example I was building this feature and like it happens to span multiple screens but I want to trace the logs in one shot right so I would tag them all with the same thing so you can also override those messages so uh if i'm making like you know a certain yeah if i land on a screen and with the whole mbi stuff like if i have like different logging happening i want to see across multiple screens the same log uh so i tag them with that and 
you can filter based on these tags. So that's just, yeah, just that's one aspect. Yeah, it's super nice. So doing that, then you're able to, in I guess, in a production build, you have overridden the, you know, the, the D call for debug. And then you're just probably using, if it's Datadog or if it's, you know, Logly or whatever your logging service is, you're then just calling their library and saying, hey, here, stream this log up here. And then if it's perhaps maybe if it's verbose, you might just say, this is a production build, ignore that. So just, you know, no op it, right? Yep, exactly. That's exactly how I would use it. And if you folks don't know what no op, N-O hyphen O-P, no operation means that we're not, when that function is called, we're not doing any operation. It's basically just an empty, empty function body, empty implementation. So your code is still calling timber.v for verbose and you're still passing a message in or whatever so the work to build that message is still being done but you're just not logging it to any service to the console to nothing it's just basically going to an empty method that does nothing and the reason for that is i mean production you do, maybe you don't want to, to do anything with the verbose logs uh for whatever reason so you just don't log them to anywhere i have a quick question so i know like on ios they do like they have like a similar kind of thing that they've written up on the back end, like when you work on like Node applications or like even like, you know, for catsriot.io, like do you also use similar kind of concepts? Like do you abstract your logging away or do you just use the like basic logging thing? Um, no, I abstract it away behind the library usually. It depends on what language it is. So if it's in you know, like Node, there's like Winston and I mean, there's, a, there's tons of them. Um, the same thing with Ruby. Uh, depends on, you know, which app I have. I've used different ones. And I'll abstract it away. But then usually almost always, especially for server-side stuff, um, I, um, I'll i abstract it away to a logging provider like uh, Logly or Paper Trail or one of those ones so I can actually go get to those logs uh, when, when something's going kind of crazy. Because uh, most of my of the servers that I might run for various clients will sometimes run on uh, Heroku. And uh, you know the, that, the logs on there are kind of limited, so I need somewhere to go get some historical perspective if something's happening then I need to be able to trace through it. Oh, Paper Trail. That's one I've used as well. That's the other service, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, yeah. yeah, I use it. I get daily emails from them about all the things I'm doing wrong. <laughs> it is like kind of interesting. There's so many of these services, right? Paper Trail, Datadog, Logly, LogDNA. And I'll try to throw like links in the show notes to all of these. Mm-hmm. The other question I had that I want to ask you is, do you sort of have a sense of when you want, because that's the common question, right? Like when should I be logging something and when should I not be logging something? Because excessive logging can also start to make these things noisy. Like even if you leave the expense side, uh, even if you leave the expense aspect aside, do you have like some sort of like mechanism to know when you're going to log something versus when you're not going to log something? Um, It's kind of just for me, it's a, there's no, like set in stone rule uh it's kind of like i hate to say it kind of a gut feeling approach of instincts right for sure yeah i'll be i'll be in there and i'll kind of i'll be writing some code that uh that makes sense at the time and uh let me back this up and say when do i always log that's a good question i always log any exceptions i never swallow an exception don't do anything with it that is like do never do this like if you have an exception and it's in a try catch, even if you're expecting that exception to happen, I recommend doing something with it. Just log it as a warning, something just so that you know that it happened inside of your logs, even if you don't send it somewhere. I know there'll be people who disagree with that for certain reasons. There's exceptions everywhere. Uh, that pun was not intended, by the way. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. The funny thing is I've actually done, and I'm, I'm speaking out of experience from what Dan just said. I did, I was one of those folks in the camp where I was like, some of this is useless. I can't act on this, you know, just swallow it. And that was a bad idea. Trust me. It is just, you. why was it a bad idea? You know? Well, because the thing is, it's, you think at the moment that it isn't useful, mm-hmm. but you know, there's so many, it's what, it's the unknown unknowns, right? Like it's what you don't know. Uh, for example, there are times when this issue caused like an issue three or four screens ahead, right? Yeah. And when you're looking at the logs of those screens, like you have no idea that something went wrong like three steps before, right? For example, you you make, and this is again, just a very hypothetical example. You make a network call and you expect a certain thing to be populated, right? But this network call failed and you decided like, you know what, time on exception, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, just like retry. If not, whatever, move on with your life, right? Mm-hmm. But then what will happen is four screens later, you would expect maybe this call to have gone through and populated a certain data, you know, or populated some data. Now, obviously, again, people can say, oh, well, you can run checks. Yeah, I get all of that, right? My point is I'm giving a hypothetical example where there are times when just knowing that something went wrong is very useful, right? Yeah. And a common way that this was done is I think a, with Rx, you can set like an on-error handler, right? The thinking, and forget like, you know, nothing you can do about it. I know like a well-meaning developer once came in and, added this thing in our like code base where they're like, look, I never want the app to crash for the user because that's a jarring experience. That's a terrible experience. So even if Rx decides to like crash and we have not handled the on error call, I don't want this to like cause problems. So I'm just going to swallow the exception, right? Uh, and you can do this. Like Rx allows you to do this. Uh, I don't recommend that. Like, you know, we eventually changed it. But then the problem with there is like, you, we couldn't just say, okay, you know what? Next release, I'm changing this because then there are so many places where yeah. we didn't land up handling the crash that the app would just keep constantly crashing, right? Mm-hmm. Until we ironed out every single part of the code base. And if your code base starts to become massive, it's really hard to like track these down. Yeah. Uh, so then what we did is then we, okay, we changed that to just warn, but then like the problem is you've like lost your grouping because you're like logging everything from one place. It just, until we could like untangle ourselves from that place, it got to be pretty messy. So, it doesn't hurt to just log it, right? Yeah. You know, and a good question to ask is why wouldn't you want to log that, right? Is it a cost reason? If it's a cost reason, then maybe you should figure out something else, right? Like, for example, Crashlytics and a lot of these things. I, I think like Crashlytics is like Firebase is still like free, yeah. like quote unquote yeah. free. Uh, sometimes I would argue you can actually use paid services and like get better. Like, yeah, but I mean that's a different yeah. argument. I don't want to like bring that in. But True. there are free services that allow you to kind of handle this stuff so i'm totally with you like warning especially warning and error it's yeah it's always good to know that that happened yeah i can't like imagine a world where you know you can like decide not to act on it you know that's different for example timeout exceptions if the user was in an area where there's network like bad network reception it's still useful to know that that happened right even if you can't act on it. Yeah, it's kind of, and there are some weird libraries too that will throw weird errors. Like I did actually swallow one error, I think within the last couple of years, one, and I felt very guilty of it. And I had tons of comments around why it was happening. And it was a lot, a, a error from Google Phone Lib. Have you ever used that before? Oh, interesting. It's their, it's their phone number library that helps with like formatting phone numbers and parsing phone numbers. And like, it's very robust and um, you can use it on iPhone and iOS because, you know, it's basically C under the hood. But what ends up happening is if you pass a phone number in, 
<clears throat> and for some reason, it's I think it's his valid phone number or something like this where you parse something. If it's not parsable, it just throws an exception. And it's like, it was like a very valid like flow. Like, all right, if this is not parsable, I need to show an error, you know, or something like that. And it just would throw an exception. So you had to like catch that exception. It was some parse exception. And then you had to do something and, you know, so it was one of those times where like I swallowed it and then updated the error message or whatever. And that was the one weird case. Um, but even then, I think we got, might have actually came back and still put a log back in later because it's still, we were just trying to be very cohesive and and uh, end to end with what we were doing. But to kind of bring this full circle, um, one of the main reasons, and here's a very recent example, there was a exception that was swallowed in the application. Um, couldn't figure out what was going on in the flow of it. We had this weird bug, couldn't replicate it. And finally, I saw it was being swallowed. It didn't look like it had anything to do with it. I said, well, you know what? I don't want to swallow errors. Let me just log this and I'll just kind of commit this with the, the bug fix. It'll two in one, you know, and mm-hmm. I'll kill two birds with one stone. And uh, I logged this uh, error message. It was like some file exception thing, whatever we we're swallowing. And as soon as I did that, it actually helped me fix the bug. And the reason why is because as soon as I logged the exception, the exception was caught because um, if we couldn't create a file, then we were to do something else. Well, little did I know the reason why the file couldn't be created was because of a permissions issue. And because of that weird permissions issue that happened, we weren't able to actually do something further down the line, not because of what we originally thought the reason why we couldn't create the file. Maybe it already existed or something like that. And so I all of a sudden realized, like, oh, we have a permissions issue. That's the whole problem with this. Like we had moved some files around, moved some paths around, and now the permissions are wrong. And I didn't know that and would have never known that unless I turned on that, you know, that, that logging for that one, uh, that one exception. So it's just weird. You can get these weird side effects uh, from, from logging exceptions. Yeah. I mean, in the end, it's just information, right? Like knowing as yeah. much information as you can, like lands up helping. It, it's funny, like, uh, I think I briefly mentioned this with Crashlytics. They have like the breadcrumbs thing. Yeah. Uh, even Rollbar that we've used before. So we have a Rollbar tree as well with the Timber. They also have, uh, it, it is super useful when you look at a crash or you look at like a non-fatal error or you look at, in, you know, like one of these issues and you see like a trace of what has happened, it just makes it so much more easier, right? You can say, oh, they went from this screen to that screen and then mm-hmm. something happened here, right? It's just really valuable information. So One of the things that these, these logging tools like CrashLix, Firebase, et cetera, um, all, these, all of them out there allow you to do stuff like this, is you can also add keys to your like logging environment. And so what that means is like you're going to start up like CrashLytics or, you know, my favorite logging service. And then when you start it up, you can actually say, hey, by the way, I want to set this key for this session. And what you can do is you can, and this is something that this is kind of, kind of back when we first started talking before we started the podcast, how we started talking was from my talk about um, Android from the trenches is one of the things that I did is I would take the, the Git hash, you know, the SHA, and I would put that as the key inside of the Crashlytics session. So anytime I received a crash, I then could say, all right, what version of this was it for my application? And I can actually just go look at that key and say, oh, this is from this particular Git hash. This is the production version that actually shipped. So I actually actually go right into my Git repository and actually check out that exact version back. All right, now let me re- reproduce this problem. Oh, here it is because maybe it was fixed three three versions from out or that file is moved and it's too hard to trace now. But then at that point, I can go back and find it. 
Oh, that's like a brilliant suggestion. I think so. This just to confirm, this is different from just what you send in that log. With every log, you can also like attach some helpful information, right? Like the so version number, Git hash, yeah. you know, device. And I think a lot of these services automatically update useful information for you now these days. So you don't actually have to manually attach them. Uh, but things that only you would know, right? Like, for example, user ID or, you know, or some identifying information so you know where this came from. That's a good point, too. I mean, um, uh, let me backtrack to the original question of, like, what things am I, am I logging and when do I choose to each log each one of them? I always log... Uh, exception. So uh, if it's a unplanned exception, uh, it, I'll log it. So log dot, you know, error. If it's something I expect is going to happen, but it's an exception, I will do a warning for it. Um, information I'll kind of use uh, sporadically here and there. If it's something that I feel that needs, it has some importance that's more important than debugging. Uh, when do I log debug? I'll usually only start providing a lot of debug logs if I'm finding the code hard to trace then I'll actually start adding a lot of debug logs and I might say parameters for this parameters for that. And then I can actually start seeing the natural order of kind of the calls that are happening. This happens a lot in a lot of asynchronous code. Like, all right, this is calling this, this is calling this. When is this happening? When is that happening? And if I start putting all those into debug logs, then I can actually see what's happening. And verbose is just for like, you said it's like very generalized information. Like, all right, this screen was shown. This view is closing down. And I'll only use those if it's something that, again, is seems to be problematic inside of the app, but I don't want to include inside of a debug log for whatever reason. That's kind of a case-by-case basis. You know, there's no heuristic for that. Yeah. I want to talk about one feature that we built that's similar because, like, a big aspect of this is if you don't want to send all the logs, sometimes you do want the logs, right? Uh, so what we did was, uh, so we have, like, in-app support in the app. So like users can call and say, hey, I'm running into some issues, right? So what we do is sometimes, like we also actually, if you have like this flag turned on, we actually even, we log all of the verbose logs, but we don't stream it for privacy reasons, obviously. We don't stream it outside, but we save it onto the local device, you know, and it's protected inside the app, uh, sandboxed or whatever the term is, where basically it's you, you, you can't get direct access unless you're like from within the app. So we log this into a file, and if they report an issue, then we upload everything. And this lands up being very useful, especially if we have like users who are like, hey, I, I'm just constantly running to this device. I'm using like this LG Stylo 4 device that nobody's heard of, and it's just when I run into like a barcode scanning issue, like things just break. I can't use this, right? And we're like, it is imp- a, it might be impossible to get a hold of that device in time. Or, you know, sometimes we're like, you know what? if I knew what the user went through or like what are the different logs that are seen, then this would make it much more useful. So we actually built a feature where like when anyone calls in for like in-app support and they have this flag turned on, then the logs typically, which we would ignore, we would just write them to a local file. Uh, and this is obviously like within the sandbox. And we would upload from that to the ticket, uh, the actual ticket that uh, they called into. Like, you know, because eventually when like a support agent like calls, this information will be like directly uploaded. So when they forward that ticket to the engineers, like we can actually like just look at the log. Nice. So that lands up being super useful. Uh, with this, I'll also add the caveat that you have to do this very carefully because again, you know, this we never want to log sensitive information in this. So it, this is where like timber lands up being useful. So the, what what we did is we overrode some of those calls yeah. and we run through multiple filters. So like we make sure that you know like we strip out all like any personal information, phone number, blah, blah, all that is like completely removed. 
right? Because mm-hmm. obviously, like in these cases, given how and this is a good thing, I feel, uh, given like GDPR, like the CPA, CCPA, or whatever it's called, a lot of these, uh, a lot of countries now have enacted rules where you're not allowed to, if you hold this information from uh, a user, you're expected to like give this information back. So yeah. Uh, and I think this is like that, that makes perfect sense in my opinion, right? Like it does add a lot of more. Uh, it adds the burden onto developers, so that like you know, if you're capturing information, then you have to be good about releasing that information. And you know, again, you should be able to purge this information if uh, if a user like explicitly requests it. So a lot of like GDPR uh, expects a lot of this functionality to exist. So I will throw this two caveats. A, just like logging is extremely useful, but just because it's useful, don't think you can just log everything, right? Because it can come back and bite you in the ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to make sure that you don't overlog as well. You know, sometimes it's just like, oh, it's useful, so I just throw that in anyway. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. Sometimes you want to be careful about what you're logging because if you're expected to also like clean up and you know, do a lot of these things and then provide functionality so that you can like surface the logs back to the user, then you have to build in a lot of this. A lot right? of, so it lot has, of stuff to build, man. Yeah, I know exactly. It can get really difficult. Like the burdens on you as a developer or like the maintainer of the service. So also think twice. Maybe sometimes you don't need all that information. And from like personal experience, we've found that like, you know, all you care about is like sometimes just like the technical aspects, right? Like this screen, this activity was shown, you know, you don't need more than that. So it is worth also keeping that in mind. Don't, overlog because then that can cause problems later on yeah it can i think you know one of the things that's um this has always been a challenge for everybody out there is like how do you how do you trace something end to end and i know that there have been mm-hmm. i think uh i think rollbar does this you have more experience with this than i do i think um but rollbar does this uh from a perspective that uh, on a client i can perform some logs and then mm-hmm. I can also be using maybe perhaps that same service on the back end and I can actually be able to see where that request is basically originating at the client going through the server. Is that oh, something yeah. that you've dealt with? And then how would you recommend someone who's new to this implementing something like that in a safe manner? Oh, absolutely. So, and uh, I think there was a previous episode. I don't yeah. remember that I talked about this. Yeah, uh, so. it's, yeah it's like X request ID. It's like yes. cross like uh, request ID. So, Typically, and uh, what what can happen here, right, is like sometimes, and you actually you explained it really well. Sometimes you want to trace a request from the point of origin all the way to your different servers, and then like back as a response, right? Yep. So what you can do is, uh, from the client side, on in network requests, you can attach an extra header, and I, I think there like there are different versions, but I think the standard now is like X hyphen request hyphen ID. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, what do you, and I'll make sure to like add the episode where I talk in like detail about this, but the idea here is, uh, especially with bigger apps and services these days, it's not as simple as just client hit server, server response, right? Because there's an Nginx server that comes in between, there's a load balancer. And then from the load balancer, it sends it to your application server. You might have like different like levels of sharding that are happening there. So it, you don't know which server is like hitting this thing. It like formulates a response that comes back from a response and then like you get the response on the client, right? So uh, if you attach this request, a lot of these services, hand, like actually, like for example, I know Rails does this by default. If you associate uh, an X request ID with uh, with your network request, it actually persists this and maintains this. So it 
you know, as it performs the network request and does various things, when it serves it back as a response, it'll give the same X request ID. Mm -hmm. You typically send a UUID in these things. So what happens is in this service that you're like assuming like, you know, your backend, your mobile clients all use the same service. For example, you can use something like Datadog or one of these other services, Logly, and like there are plenty of other services, right? You can simply paste that request ID and then you can literally track this request as it originates from the client. It hits your load balancer, you know, load balancer, it hits your application server. You can see exactly what happens. Uh, and that can land up being super useful. So this is like one of those things that's a standard. Standard way to do it with the X request ID? Yeah, yeah. Especially when we tra- for this is like specifically if we want to trace network requests and like see how like logs, uh, how like, yeah, how requests transform from the point of origin from the client to the backend and come back. Uh, if you want to see like, hey, what does that network, what happens in that network request, right? Yeah. Did it 401? Did it get retried? Did it like, you know, eventually come up successful with a 200 response code yeah this x request id is a good way to do that specific aspect yeah there's a good article actually that we can link to it's actually on heroku's website it's called the uh http request ids and they kind of show you how how it works um you know with with logs um how you can use it with rails node.js django uh, java php scala closure link they have a whole bunch here so We'll uh, provide a link to that so you can kind of get some more information. I think it'd be a good way to, to dive into it. So if you're looking to trace from end to end, it looks like X request ID is going to be your friend here. What else? Is there anything else that you've learned from your time, like logging? Uh, any like lessons that you've learned? Things that you want to like, yeah, the, pass on? Again, the only thing I can really say is that, you know, um, <laughs> this is the one that I'm just going to stick with. If you have an exception, just log it. If, if even if it's caught, uh, log it as a warning or something. Uh, it could end up helping you out in the future. Uh, it's going to be one of those times when you don't log it when it kind of comes back to bite you in the butt. <laughs> very true. Very true. And I think like the biggest question that most people again have is like, oh, what should I log in what level? Uh, in the end, like you know, you'll land up knowing what works for you. Uh, this is what works for both Don and me. Like you know, the different levels that we talked about. Uh, crash, warning, uh, yeah, sorry, error, warning, verbose, info, debug. These are pretty standard. And if you pick one, I think that maybe you just start off with the ones we mentioned. And that usually works pretty well. But you learn to like tweak these as like, you know, depending on your specific use case. Do you find yourself uh, sticking to one particular log? And the reason why I ask this is because I'd probably say I spent 80% of my time in the debug log. And then I'll mm. kind of, I'll pop over to warning and error and then occasionally into info. I rarely use verbose. Do you have a certain like area you feel more like that's where you just naturally gravitate towards? Oh, it's interesting. For me, it's actually verbose. I default to like verbose because I don't want those, you know, verbose. I usually feel as I'm building a feature or building a service, like verbose is things that I think will be helpful for me, but I don't want it logged. That's what you don't want it logged Uh, back to the server, right? Because you stream debug, right? Exactly. Yeah, I stream oh, yeah, right, I don't right. stream verbose. So that's why I prefer to like be in the land of verbose so I don't mistakenly send things that I shouldn't be sending. Mm-hmm. Uh debug is when I'm like very specifically I spend time in debug when I have a new feature I'm like not sure how this is working. For example, with the whole like new uh unidirectional state flow MVI stuff, yeah. right? Like the view state and events. My events, I log those as debug when I'm starting out as a feature because then I can literally see how a screen is being used, right? Yeah this event was sent in and that was a view state that was sent out back. When I'm not sure if a feature is stable, that lands up being super useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But once it's stable, I quickly switch that from debug to verbose. And that just is easy because then this feature that I talked about where like the verbose gets sent if they log a ticket, then that, like, you know, I have that information if I need it. Uh, But it doesn't like, yeah, it doesn't get sent. It doesn't get streamed. So I usually find myself working on verbose. Debug is those special circumstances where I've released it. It's in the Play Store. It's rolling out to 10%. I just want to see how things are going. I'd like open up the stream service, like filter out the tag and then see just like all the debug messages. And I was like, oh, that looks okay. I was like, whoa, I didn't expect that to happen. So yeah. I can go back quickly, change things. And after like it's rolled out to 100% for a week or two, I feel comfortable like, okay, this thing is working as it should. Then I'll go back, throw up a PR and like change all those to verbose. It's not a bad idea. I, I think my experience is I haven't worked with a lot of um, a lot of clients that do a lot of streaming for for, de- right, for right. debug, um, mm. but then I think that's also you know that's another question that might pop up from this is like all right should I be streaming my debug logs um, and is there any best practices for that? But that could be a whole other uh, yeah. chat about you know DevOps for apps in itself that we'll oh, probably yeah. have to have here in the future. Oh, and that's a great question. I will like say one thing: if you can avoid. Having that, avoid it, <laughs> especially with things that like the way, like, you know, the privacy and stuff works on. Like if you don't need this, don't use it. You know, for example, we have like our shopper side and we have a customer side uh, on the customer side. Also, like we don't even like we don't even like have half these logs because we don't even want them. Yeah. Uh, and the release cycle is a little slower. Right. But like in some of the apps that we work our release cycles, we work very closely with these shoppers. They're like our partners. Mm-hmm. Uh so we know, like, you know, there's like a mutual understanding. So like we want to iterate really fast. So that's why it lands up being useful. I would say if you can avoid having, you know, logging these matches, just avoid it altogether. You know, like the verbose thing, if you can just get it sent up, uh, that works beautifully well, you know. So like we've drastically reduced a lot of our logging services, especially with a lot of uh, GDPR and a lot of these things coming up uh, to fruition. We just yeah just minimize as much as you can yeah that's true i mean it's that's our hard thing about the privacy stuff is what can you be sending to these remote you know remote places and you said before like if you're gonna collect some data then you have to be able to provide it back to them so yeah that's something you have to keep in mind is like as a developer if you're logging something ask yourself the question of like would i want you know would the the person of all of your friends let's use this question because some people don't care if of all of your people, of your friends, you know, we all have that one friend who's like security conscious, like conspiracy theorist. They think like <laughs> everything was like the moon is fake, like those kind of people. Okay. Um, <laughs> like, you know, flat earth, whatever. But <laughs> with the whole other tan- Moon landing didn't happen. Exactly. But you know, think of that person. Would they want their data that you're about to log, that la- that data you're logging, It would they be okay with that being logged? If not, then that's something you might want to to rethink logging in or, or check with, you know, your, your product owners or something like that. Say, hey, is this something we can be logging? Because it may end up being a compliance issue later down the line. It could end up being a huge ball of wax to untangle. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. Uh, PII, personal identifiable yes. information. Right. PII. If you can identify a person with that information, you should probably not be logging it at all, <laughs> you know. Uh but if you're logging, if, you know, this activity was shown, then I think that's fine. But again, like, yeah, like you, you summed it up pretty well. If in doubt, ask someone who knows this pretty well, yeah. you know. And so if, for those of you wondering, just for a real quick uh, recap for, if you're wondering, is this something that's PII, which is personal identifiable information? 
um, what should I not be logging? So things like uh, full name, uh, country, state, mm-hmm. gender, uh, race, your email address, home address, social security number, passport numbers, driver's license numbers, credit card numbers, date of birth, phone numbers, telephone yeah. numbers, login details, anything that I just mentioned like that, you probably shouldn't be logging at all. Yeah. And as a developer, I don't see why you would want that either, oh. right? There's no reason you would need that to like help with your application, at least a majority of most applications that we use. No, not at all. I mean, you guys can send me all the donations you want for PayPal. I'll put that link <laughs> on the show notes and I will share it with Kaushik. And, uh, uh-huh. but that's a different topic. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but that's, uh, anyway, that's, I think that kind of wraps us up for today's show on, on, uh, everything logging. And yeah, if folks have suggestions, comments, or things that they've run into issues that they have with logging, feel free to shoot, uh, that to us, like, you know, because yeah. I think we've been through some apps and we've gone through different logging strategies. So it'll always be interesting to see if we can like help answer some of those. Yeah, totally. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for your logging discussion and wisdom, Don. <laughs> Thank you, Kaushik. I was trying to Appreciate think of like, a funny pun, but then none of those like seemed... None of them really logged off work. that well. <laughs> All right. That's it, folks. We're logging off. You're killing me. I want to take this chance and also thank Square for sponsoring today's show. You can build with their in-app payments SDK for Android in a secure way. If you're a mobile app and you want to basically just take payments, then you should definitely check their SDK out. For a nice tutorial on how to use this SDK, head on over to youtube.com slash square. Thanks again for sponsoring today's show, Square. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. Sarah the Amazing Jackson from the Spec Network helps with production assistance and wraps our final mix. Our team and ad music is by the national recording artist Blueprint from Weightless Recordings. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.